Hello and welcome to Season of the Bitch, the leftist feminist podcast that doesn't believe in kink shaming, but believes in kink explaining. (laughs) Today we have Zoe, Ozzy, and Adelaide. And you guessed it, or you saw it if you follow us on social media, but today we are talking about kink. I first want to start out with kind of an explainer of what kink is, and then we'll be answering questions from Instagram and Discord. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions because we love answering them on air, um, and we are certifiable experts, so please Obviously. keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it like keeps it interesting. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, starting off, we want to talk about what is kink. Um, the dictionary definition of a kink is a sharp twist or turn in something that's otherwise straight. I.e. thing of like a kink in the road, a kink in your neck, that vibe. So when kink first started being used to describe sexuality, it was thought of as things that are non-conventional to sex. But because people's ideas of what like quote unquote normal sex is change over time, so does the concept of what is or is not kink. And it can also vary person to person. Um, yeah, something that some people is like, this is so kinky that I do this. Other people are like, I do that every Tuesday. Um, so it just really varies. Whatever you think is kinky for you probably is. Yes, totally. I feel like that is such an important part of the definition of kink. Like what is and is not kink varies depending on who you ask. And honestly, I feel like it could even vary for one person in like different contexts or with different partners. Um, for me, like I feel like the biggest thing about kink that's kind of like broadly relatable to all sex regardless of whether you're having what you would call kinky sex is just that like nothing can really be taken for granted when it comes to sex with another person like everything is up for negotiation and for people to have limits around for some people a sexual act might be like super common like Zoe said they do it every Tuesday um doesn't bring up any I chose Tuesday I think because I've been thinking about Tuesday is the most like (laughs) neutral day like nothing weird is usually happening (laughs) on a Tuesday right um not like a sexy day but like it could be yeah it could be it's up to you (laughs) um but yeah, like, for, you know, the same thing that is very not notable for someone could be something that feels like very intense and requires a lot of care for another person. Um, so I think like, especially when it comes to queer and trans sex, like just not making assumptions about like what is quote unquote normal and what is quote unquote kink is like a very good starting place, I think. Um, so in terms of kink definitions, one definition that I've heard that I find really funny and silly, but also I do genuinely kind of like it, is that kink is like gourmet sex. So like most people don't eat gourmet food for every meal. Like a lot of times we're just eating to satisfy like a basic biological need, but gourmet food is kind of like a more elevated or heightened version of like the same basic emotions of physical responses that you would have with like a more like, so in the kink context like kinky sex is sort of a more elevated version of like the same emotions and physical responses that you have in quote-unquote vanilla or non-kinky sex um so according to sex educators Dossie Easton and Janet Hardy who I will talk more about later on kink or BDSM can be defined as quote an activity in which one partner consciously consensually relinquishes control to another partner in at least one of four areas, movement, behavior, sensation, or emotion. Um, And I find that definition useful because it's a very like broad definition and it can include like a lot of things that I think people might question like, can this be called kink or like, can this be considered part of sex? Um, And like, that to me is a great way of like, I guess just capturing sort of all of the many things that we might think of as part of kink. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I just want to pop in to say here as well that, as with all things, our society has a lot of shame within it. And whether the ideas surrounding kink are completely new to you or whether you've been dabbling in various kinks for years, know that both things are totally good and normal and there's no badge of honor assigned to the way you approach your own pleasure. And also know that there's no normal, really. Um, There's 
in general, like as we've been saying. And there's also no normal age to think about these things. Like everyone comes to these things in a lot of different ways. Um, mm-hmm. So just wanted to emphasize that before we dive in. Yeah, also going to bring this up later on, but a lot of folks like are curious about kink for several years before they actually try it because a lot of people feel like they don't know enough to try it or like other people know more than them. Um, and that's part of why we're doing this episode so that if you're interested, you can feel informed and you can go do whatever you want. Um, so we want to start getting into some terms and defining what like some popular terms in kink spaces mean. And I found this list from Huffington Post that was compiled by looking at Google search results. So these are like the most Googled kink related terms. Um, So yeah, we're going to go through some of those. The first with almost 10 million annual searches, which kind of seems low anyway, (laughs) um, is sadism. And yeah, apparently by far the most popular searched kink around the world. Um, if you don't know what it is, sadism is when you inflict physical or psychological pain or basically take control in one of the four areas that Ozzy mentioned on another person to stimulate sexual excitement. And then the flip side of that, which is the second one on the list, is masochism. And so very much related um, and often referred to as SNM is masochism is when you derive sexual gratification from your own pain, humiliation, frustration, like relinquishing control. The, okay, the third most searched thing, which I think is funny, is CBT, <laughs> um, which a lot of people are searching this, um, is not cognitive behavioral therapy, um, as you might think, but is cognitive ball torture. Yeah, even when I we were like opening this document and I was skimming through it at first. I was like, oh, I guess we're covering CBT. And then I was like, oh, oh. (laughs) I think at least in my mind, as opposed to like the first two, that surprised me as the third, because I feel like I don't hear people talk about it as much as a kink, whereas like the other things on the list are talked about more. So totally more people are interested than they care to admit. Um, but yeah, and then the next one is humiliation. Basically, as it sounds, people who are into humiliation derive pleasure or excitement from like being humiliated and demeaned. And that can look like all different things depending on what that person likes. Hell yeah. Um, the next one is role play. Um, it's one of the more well-known entries on this list. Um, role play involves indulging in fantasy based on any social role and could incorporate any kind of sexual fetish, um, desired by the participants. Um, think nurse costumes, dressing up as fictional characters, um, et cetera. Uh, the next one is cuckolding. Uh, this is when one partner watches their lover having sex with somebody else and derives pleasure from it. There's also cuck queening because we love a binary society, um, which tends to center <laughs> femmes as the cuckold as opposed to the traditional cis man being cuckolded. They did an yeah. example of this on that new Netflix show, um, at the fall of the house of Usher. <gasps> I am watching that show, I but I don't have gotten to that yet. There's there's also a new fuck what oh it's on Showtime. There's a new Showtime show called The Curse that also involves this king. Um, it's a popular one. Evidently. <laughs> <laughs> um and then impact play, which involves I think this is also one that's like pretty commonly thought of with BDSM, but like hitting or being hit with objects in a safe, consensual way. Um that's where it's pleasure. So yeah, I think like flogs, paddles, hands, um, really whatever the person likes yes um okay so i want to talk about before we get into like more history and specific questions um the definition of the terms dom sub and switch and then top bottom and verse um these can be very controversial like depending on who you ask people have very different feelings about these terms um so my understanding of it is that like sort of initially when like BDSM communities were getting started, there was this like existing language that a lot of people in queer communities were using of like bottom and top to specifically describe sexual positions. So like 
a top would be a partner who wants to penetrate people and a bottom would be someone who wants to be penetrated and like that essentially cropping up as a way to denote sexual roles when there's not like an immediate assumption of how that should be from heterosexual sex roles so like if you're a straight person dating who is the top and who is the bottom is often assumed and not really there's not really room to negotiate or question that um or people just like don't even necessarily realize that you could question that um, which is femtop erasure definitely um and obviously <laughs> yeah. like pegging exists and there are many straight men who enjoy being bottoms and many straight women who enjoy being tops but i think that is like less it's under discussed and oftentimes people feel shame around it um in queer sex there's like a little bit more flexibility that like basically who's the top and who's the bottom isn't necessarily strictly tied to gender, although there have still been lots of issues, especially in cis gay male communities, of like assuming that someone who is more femme or like more of a stereotypical faggot, as we might say, is gonna have to be the bottom and like someone who's very butch and like mask presenting is gonna have to be the top. Um, and that obviously is totally nonsense as is the idea that all men have to be tops and all women have to be bottoms but that there's sort of its own like uh you know biases that have cropped up in queer communities um and then verse would refer to someone who is maybe takes either role or like prefers one or the other depending on context um so when bdsm communities were becoming a little bit more codified I, this is like just from some oral history stuff I've read, but it seems like some folks were like, oh, we shouldn't, like we're straight people into BDSM. We shouldn't use top and bottom because that's like belongs to the queer community. So we're going to use specifically dom and sub or dominant and submissive um, to denote sort of like the energy and vibe of the roles. So like a dom would be someone who prefers like being the one who is tying someone up or being the one who is like giving impact to someone else. Whereas a sub would be someone who enjoys like receiving those sensations. Yeah. So, and then switch would refer to someone who takes on either role or both or whatever. So also I have experienced like my, my, I think first experience really with these terms was because one of the first queer relationships I was in was with a um, stone top. And this person, basically what it it meant for them and for a lot of people who um, consider themselves in that way, it's about focusing on the other person's pleasure. So I think about top and bottom as switch and switch as like also like how much focus would you like to be spent on your, I think, like on your needs and your pleasure versus how much do you like gain pleasure out of making that happen to someone else? Um, mm -hmm. And then switch being like, you know, obviously the middle ground of that space. So I, I just wanted to say that because I've experienced that a lot and that is like generally – kind of the way that I think about it when I'm talking about those terms for myself. But I've yeah, also been totally. in those situations like because of like BDSM stuff too. I like playing with um, dominance and things like that as well. Um, but it's like, and so it's like, wait, which way are you a switch? Or, you know, like all the ways you have to kind of like parse through that information. Yes. Well, what I was going to say also is just basically like everybody uses these terms to mean different things. So there has yeah. been... Uh, like, I would say essentially now, like, the way that top and bottom are used is often, at least in, like, broader culture and media, is often interchangeable with the way dom and sub are used. So, like, um, I don't think, like, you can never assume what someone means. Like, people do sometimes say, like, I don't top or I don't bottom or whatever to refer to, like, specific sexual positions, but often people are also talking about more of, like, a vibe or a role that like like who wants to be more like active or in control in sex or like who wants to be in charge of setting the scene versus like who wants to more so go along with someone or like add on to someone else's energy in a different way um but 
I think that it's like just basically always important to clarify what people mean because people use these terms in all different ways. Um, okay, do y'all remember? I'm about to say something horrific and I am sorry, but I'm going to say it anyway. In 2016, when there was like that, there was like a thing amongst the very like corporate, like lib gay men being like, I would bottom for Hillary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ew, it's I don't so remember. Not that that's horrifying. It's so it was cursed. like a thing. Like I think it was like a like a hashtag. I, I sound so old, but it was like a thing that people were saying. No, <laughs> I mean I think that also gets to yeah how there's this like definition creep of like basically like bottoming being assumed to be submissive, which like it totally can. Right, be, I was just gonna say you that. can be a dominant bottom, but yeah, you. I mean. <laughs> Topping from the bottom is totally a thing. Power bottoms are a thing. I feel like, I mean, I think since we're talking about this, um, and you mentioned like the definition of stone top, Addy, which I think also like some some people who identify as stone like don't really want their genitals to be involved in sex at all. Yeah. So again, that's like something to ask about. But like, there are all different types exactly. of top and bottom identities and dom and sub identities. So like. A power bottom often would be someone who considers themselves like more of a dom, but they more often are penetrated. But like that could also be flexible, especially when we're talking about queer sex. So just, you know, don't don't assume is the basic message. But um, I think the fact that these terms have become so intertwined is really evidenced by the fact that one of the most canonical texts on BDSM uses top and bottom as sort of the more generic terms for like all the range of dominant and submissive behaviors. Um, so that is The Bottoming Book and The Topping Book by Dossie Easton and Janet Hardy, um, who I mentioned before. Um, I also just wanted to read um, this definition that they have. Uh, this is from The Bottoming Book. They define a bottom as someone who has the ability to eroticize or otherwise enjoy some sensations or emotions, such as pain, helplessness, powerlessness, and humiliation that would be unpleasant in another context. And then, likewise, a top is someone who can eroticize, giving someone an experience that would be unpleasant in real-world interactions. So a top might be a dominant, sadist, master, mistress, nurse, pirate captain, or whoever else is running the show. Um... So in the top pirate book, they captain, also... <laughs> I know I love their examples in these books are really great. Also, um, I definitely recommend checking them out. Um, in the topping book, they give this whole list of ways, like it's sort of partially an oral history project. They like interview tons of people who are part of BDSM communities, and like they have a part where they asked everyone how do they define kink or BDSM. Um, and one of the definitions they share in terms of like defining the relationship between topping and bottoming that I like um, was it's like an exchange in which the top exchanges their energy for the bottom's armor. So the top is sort of someone who's investing more like energy, like physical energy or emotional energy into something. But then the bottom is sort of the person who's like taking away more of their armor and mask and like showing more of their like true reactions to things. Um, and that like, both of those responses are an important part of sex for a lot of people. Um, and obviously one person doesn't have to be only doing one or the other. Um, but yeah, that's, I feel like those are definitions that I like because they're again, just like a little bit more expansive and like give room for all the different ways that people actually use these terms and like what people mean by them. Yeah, totally. Well, I think, talking about some of the origins of that is a good segue to get into more like history about, um, about King. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> so kink has been around for as long as humans have been around and have been fucking, which is for as long as humans have been around. Um, so there's plenty of examples of this. We're just going to get into a few for today because we also want to get to your questions. But the most famous ancient example of kink is the Kama Sutra, which was written in India between the second and third century uh, CE. And this book was the first time that like genital piercings were mentioned in writing and they wrote about bondage and other sexual desires that hadn't been written about before then or like really documented. Uh, and another cool example, which you should look up pics if you've never seen it, is the sculpture at 
Kajarajo temple, which features sculptures of humans in like all different sex positions. And it's like this big ass sculpture. It's very cool. And then moving into ancient Greece, which they were definitely like not the first kinky people, but because they just have like extensive documentation, it's where we often have this information from, um, which is another really early example of kink. So the Greeks were going back to third century uh, BCE. Yeah, the period when Thais, probably the best known hetera lived. And the hetera were essentially the early sapiosexuals who preferred the company of Hetera's because they desired not just a lover, but also an educated woman with a well-developed emotional intellect who could play the part of the Scheherazade, enveloping sex in an atmosphere of like stories and myths. And then in that same century, Aristotle's history of animals asserted <laughs> a bold claim, which it was at the time, that women can receive pleasure from sex the same way a man does. And this truly was fucking mind-blowing information at the time and still, and <laughs> to some people. Um, and yeah, this is like potentially the first recorded statement of woman's right to like develop her own sexuality and embrace kinkiness on par with men. Um, and history of animals made Aristotle seen as like this authority figure on future generations, sexual pleasure. So, and obviously as you were like uh, starting to allude to as well, like this, and this will not be a shock to our listeners, but like prioritizing femme or women's pleasure is still an issue even in leftist circles, like there's so much mm -hmm. less understanding and desire to understand the mechanics and pleasure for all parties involved. And it's why, so like, yes, like it's wild that this was the first recorded thing, but also it was revolutionary and to, to people still today, this is revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Accurate. So true, bestie. So <laughs> jumping ahead several centuries, um, in the 17th century, the anonymously published Aristotle's masterpiece appeared. And over the next few centuries, the book became a huge source of sexual education in England that um, people that were like interested in kink would use as an encyclopedia of this theoretical like knowledge about the body. Again, at the time, a like, anatomical description of the body and like where pleasure arises from was unheard of. And still a lot of people can't find the clit. So we haven't come that far. Um, another like notable contribution is Shibari. And so Shibari is like an erotic bondage kink that comes from Japan. And so from a historical standpoint, the like original name of the art is Kinbaku, which literally translates to the beauty of tight bonding, binding. And one theory says that the word shibari emphasizes the usage of artistic aesthetic ropes, which King Baku, King Baku denotes the artistic, sensual, and sexual practice of binding in general. Um, and just a side note that I think is funny is because when we were posting on Instagram to get y'all's questions, one of the pictures we posted was a shibari like diagram. And someone responded to the story and said, I'm just here to say this rope stuff is really hot. And we love that for them. I'm so dead. I go go off exactly and then the last like early history thing or not early history thing but not super recent history thing we're gonna get into is the dildo so sex toys have turned out to be an extremely old kink and maybe you're like sex toys aren't that kinky but they were at the time and for some people they are so whatever oh it's um, still it's still <laughs> so foreign to yeah. a lot of people as right. as with anything else depends who you ask really. right right yeah and this is about like dildos specifically not just like any sex toys but so archaeologists found a twenty eight thousand year old dildo in the south of germany hot <laughs> but the automated dildos of that like we're now familiar with were brought into vogue almost simultaneously by the french the english and the americans Frenchmen were the first to do it in 1734, and then 100 years later, inventors in the U.S. and Great Britain created vibrators that originally had nothing to do with pleasure um, and were not that exciting, and I'll tell you why. So the first vibrators were invented by doctors for a very different reason than what we now use them for. Um, they were made, and we talked about this on the pod before, but for treating female patients' hysteria, quote-unquote, and many doctors suffered from their aching wrists because they would, like, make women come to like cure them quote unquote air quotes around all of this 
But so thus they made this device because they were like, we are so tired of making women come as our job. And so what if we had vibrators? And you can learn more about that on our episode, The Fucked Up History of Gynecology. Yeah, the patriarchy, it's bad, folks. You heard it here first. Imagine just the audacity of a doctor to be like, I'm actually so tired from making women come. It's literally the audacity of man. So upsetting. (laughs) We hate it. We We do love our resident master of not only gender (laughs) and sexuality studies, but our master of social work. So at that crossroads, there's so much to be found. And we love it. (laughs) With our very own expert, here comes Zoe. Thank you so much. So last section on history here, we're going to talk about the history of like mental health spaces interacting with kink as a surprise to no one. I wrote a research paper about depathologizing BDSM in mental health spaces. And I just want to go over like some of the key points, especially as we mentioned in the beginning. Um, a lot of these things are like very filled with shame and like stigmatized. And so, yeah, for a long time, people that were involved in BDSM were assumed to be like mentally ill, deviant, or like damaged and dangerous. And we still hear this a lot, right? When there's like, it's like women are assumed to be subs, but also when women are subs, it's like, oh, do you have like daddy issues? Like, why are you so into this? And stuff like that. So a lot of the early framework for the stigmatization was based on psychoanalytic theories that utilized like harmful people as sexual predators to like prove that it was dangerous right so like people that were like non-consensual uh non-consensually like doing dominating things so think of the argument of like if we like gay people get married what's next children animals but as it relates to sex so it was like if there are these like sexual predators out there and we normalize people doing these things consensually what's next and it's like no a does not equal b um (laughs) these are two very separate things Definitely. Yeah. So the term sadism and masochism are traced back to the Freudian era. Canceled. Um, (laughs) Enemy of (laughs) the pod. Which we also talked about extensively on the pod, um, but during the rise of psychoanalysis. So sexual historians agree that the behaviors well predate Freudian theory, as we just talked about, um, which came in the late 1800s. But in 1855, psycho Psychologist Richard von Kraft Ebbing published Psychopathia Sexualis, which described sadism and masochism as sexual disorders because they were considered acts of cruelty and bodily punishment. And they were seen as two separate disorders, sadism as finding sexual pleasure and inflicting pain on another person, masochism as relinquishing control to the sexual desires of another person. So like definitionally not wrong, except just imagine like derogatory at the end of the definitions. Um, this but unironically (laughs) exactly and they were seen as sadism was seen as a perversion that was common in men whereas masochism was a perversion common in women um although recent evidence shows that there's actually a pretty even split between like male doms and femdoms um which we already talked about and we know that but it's research evident so then in 1929 psychologist and the founder of sexology havelock ellis refuted freud's gendered assessment of sadomasochism and said that pain is used to create pleasure and signifies the love between the consenting partners and this means that they believe certain people felt that receiving pain from their partner was an indication of affection about 20 years after that kinsey might have heard of him kinsey scale published a report um showing about 12% of females and 22% of males reported an erotic response to sadomasochistic, um, to a sadomasochistic story. So they were read like an erotic story and like asked about if they were turned on, et cetera. And additionally, 55% of females and 50% of males report enjoying being bitten in sexual context, which is just like a funny thing that that they felt like noting. They were just like, oh, interesting. Um, And obviously, these are very binary studies. Also, they were done long ago. Um, So the full like BDSM acronym was coined in 1969. And throughout the 70s, BDSM was like rising, especially as a part of gay male culture. It was affiliated with like leather and um, biker subcultures. In the late 1970s, 
Lesbian Feminist founded an organization in San Francisco that received national attention for a sexually explicit guide to BDSM. And this was all leading up to the AIDS crisis beginning really in the 1980s. And it became even more common for gay men and group people in general to use BDSM as a way to engage in like erotic sexual behaviors without the risks associated with penetration at the time. And so since then, BDSM has been like a lot more mainstreamed um, to some extent by pornography and also by more like uh, even more mainstreamed things like Fifty Shades of Grey. Which I won't get into, but I have a personal vendetta, and I fucking hate Fifty Shades of Grey. It's so bad. It's not a good depiction. It's it's very bad, and it also it was written by a two year old. Like the none of the sentences (laughs) make any sense. Like I literally, someone had a copy where I worked, and I tried to read the first chapter and i was like this is not this is it's unreadable yeah it's not readable no and it's like like, obviously there's literally books written on how bad it is as well yeah yeah horrendous and also i think for people who like were curious but didn't know that much about like kink or bdsm gave a very not yes. it's not depiction. a good introduction no. and there are actually books that are like hello here's an introduction to bdsm that are written by like actual experts and stuff so definitely check those out not 50 shades of Grey. yeah i think for whatever that. reason but it was like at the time it was very it wasn't I mean, very stigmatized like it, for people to just yeah, be like, oh, like a lot of like lot of white women my stepmom yeah, like, and yeah. my dad both yeah. read it and right, which like they they're were like only talking right about. wing <laughs> Catholics. Yeah. So for some reason that was like an acceptable version of an introduction. Right. Um, but also a bad one. It's yes. horrifying. I mean, I feel like it's one of those things that just takes like existing like sexist norms of relationships and then is like, but what if this was like hot and good? But it's like just it's like using it's a structure of BDSM that doesn't require you to question like any underlying sexist assumptions. So it's like I can see how that could appeal to people who are more conservative but maybe still interested because right. it doesn't have the aspect of kink that's like fucking up like right. patriarchy or right. heteronormativity or whatever. Right. Right. And it's like they have the contract but also they don't like really show what consent looks like in like kink no. or BDSM at no, all, but it's it like, makes... oh, there's a written contract she had to sign. Yeah, but that's also not how that works, obviously. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, it, it's like it can be, but it that's not like good. Like that's not. I wouldn't be it's, like it's happy a... if my friend told me they were in that relationship. No, I would feel like it's actually a scary and unsafe situation. For sure. Correct, because it is. Right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, fuck Fifty Shades of Grey. Listen to Season of the Bitch instead. That's fucking right. <laughs> <laughs> but something that I think is, like, very, like, lovely and exciting about BDSM is that it really allows people to, like, like play with each other. Like, both play sexually and also, like, just explore like fantasies and explore things that we're not usually able to like do in our everyday lives and from like a human development standpoint um winnicott who is the guy that did like the six stages of development talks a lot about human development um didn't specifically relate to bdsm but talks about this idea of like play and authenticity which is important in like kids and adults but often stops after childhood um and so it is a way that people can like try out different versions of authenticity and just like really exploring things that yeah otherwise there's like not often a lot of opportunities for adults to like play around with their identities and things absolutely so yeah and then there's just one study that i wanted to mention i mean there are a lot of interesting studies about this but um one of them that speaks like the need to depathologize bdsm within like mental health the mental health field is um, in 2013, Andreas A.J. Wismeyer and Marcel A.L.M. Van Assen, the two people with the longest names in recorded history, conducted a study to determine the psychological characteristics of those who practice BDSM. 
And although it had generally been thought of as a form of psychopathology, like I mentioned, more recent results have shown that practitioners have relatively good psychological health. And for this study, they used 902 people who like self-identified as being BDSM practitioners and then 434 control participants to fill out a questionnaire. And the survey focused on four major psychological indicators. Um, It was a five-factor model of personality, rejection sensitivity, attachment style, and subjective well-being. And so the overall results indicate that there are favorable psychological characteristics to people who were involved in BDSM as opposed to like the control group. And so the BDSM practitioners were shown to be less neurotic, more extroverted, more open to new experiences, more conscientious, less rejection sensitive, and had like a higher subjective well-being, like identified that they felt a higher well-being. And so the highest scoring group were those who identified as doms, followed by subs. And the lowest scoring group were the people that didn't engage at all. And the two researchers concluded that these results could help BDSM be thought of as like a more recreational leisure activity, like I said, that helps people like play and explore themselves versus an expression of some form of psychopathology or like negative mental health. This is an amazing study. And I just feel like it might be intuitive, but like at the same time, it just inherently debunks so much just within itself. And like... I would even add, maybe they weren't looking for it specifically, that I'm assuming those practitioners were probably more likely to be good, like not have issues with communication with their partner Mm. or something about communication. Um, Yeah. Because the amount of communication and vulnerability, because like I think a lot of people don't end up talking about sex, which is why people have a lot of bad sex. Um but like the you have to a be over the the shame or at least want willing to work through the internalized shame of talking about sex and then you have to be okay with directing that even further into like what you actually want what you want to try and how you would like another person to behave in that situation like there's so many more steps that yeah are also just like tools for being an empathetic and caring and present individual um that i think it's like it i guess it like makes so much sense that it it affects your mental well-being in a positive way but obviously that is so not the way that the entire society views it yeah yeah totally which I think that is a perfect segue into the first, we're going to move into the questions. The first question we got is how to tell someone that they are a bad dom and or sub, but you don't want to disconnect. So basically how to communicate in sex or sexually. Yes. Yes. I mean, this is an interesting question because I mean, obviously there's like limits to this, but I, like I've been saying, I don't really think there's like any sort of agreed upon definition of what a good dom and or sub is. And so when you say, they're a bad dom or a bad sub. I think it's important to recognize that's coming partially from your own preferences and like, what is it specifically that they're doing that you don't like? Because to me, I don't think it's really helpful to be like, oh, well, you're being a bad dom by doing this. It's more helpful to me to think like, what what is the thing that they're doing that you don't like or that you would like them to do instead? And is there a way you can like bring that up and have a conversation about that that's more targeted and not just like you suck at everything because if you don't want to disconnect with them they must be doing some things right so along similar lines but kind of in the other side of it you could give specific examples of what you'd like them to do and what you like like even if it's something as specific as try using these words rather than these words Um, because words that someone has used with someone else may not work with you, Um, or things more specific like, I like when you grab my ass hard, but I like it less when your nails scratch my skin, etc. Like, try to think about the things that are making you, like, feel uncomfortable or not enjoying the situation, Um, and try to think about how that could be remedied for you. Yeah, something else that like, 
is often how I like to handle things is having like a check-in post-sex. So I'll just ask like, how was that for you? Is there anything that you like liked or didn't like that I did specifically, whatever. Um, and then that also allows you to be like, you know, I didn't necessarily like this one thing you did or like, right, like Addie, so like maybe try this. Um, and sometimes also having those conversations, like I end up changing my mind. Like if I'm like, oh, I don't love this thing. And the other person is like, oh, I really like that. And I like, will ask more about like, why is that really hot for you? And then sometimes I'm more open to like, okay, maybe I enjoy it more like knowing that it's such a turn on for the other person. Whereas on its own, I'm like, I could really do without that. Um, mm -hmm. But also you're allowed to not change your mind and just be like, I do not like that. Yeah. Which happens too. <laughs> and I think to that point as well, like, I think sometimes people feel a pressure to communicate while sex is happening. And like sometimes things do need to be communicated during that those times. And sometimes if you're like, well, I, I would rather talk about that after. I think it's totally good to talk about it after and don't feel like if the moment's over that you can't bring it up. Like I think it's I think it's sometimes easier to bring up when you're not like in the heat of that moment as well. Sometimes. Yeah, totally. I think a lot of people have a hard time bringing things up during sex because it feels awkward or like it's going to ruin the moment or something so uh, yeah after or even like at setting aside like another time when you're not like sort of in the midst of or recently having had sex can also be a good like neutral space um especially if you're feeling anxious about it um but yeah this person didn't give us a lot of like details about specifically what they're looking for I mean it sounds like maybe they are someone who plays with both doms and subs and is just looking for general advice but obviously if someone is a sub this could be a little bit easier because you could actually incorporate some of your feedback into sex and like if they like being told what to do then that could actually be really hot and like contribute to your sex life um one of the things that I love about the bottoming and topping books and sorry I'm talking about them so much but they're just really great resources I'm um, oh, sorry bitch. they have a lot of specific examples yeah so true um they have a lot of specific examples of like scenes that the authors have done and that they've like talked to their friends about of like specific ways this was able to happen so they give one example of like these two strangers at a play party and one of them was whipping the other and the top who was like whipping the person didn't know if it was like they were like i feel like this person wants me to hit them harder but i'm not sure so they basically were like in the character of like the whatever like person they were playing like the prison guard or whatever they were like if you want me to hit you harder you got to get your ass up there or something like that to like let the person know like if you want me to hit harder you need to like do something so that i know that and then the person did like scooch up and then they hit harder and it was great and everyone loved it and had a great time um that's an example of obviously like a very one-off like you know like one night stand hookup type of situation where you don't really know the person um if you have more context for what they like you might have other ways of doing this but um yeah i think like if telling your partner what to do is already a part of sex for you then that is a great way to incorporate like gentle feedback or redirection by just framing it as a command which can also make it hotter um wow let's move on to our next that was a good question answer. um thank you this i feel like this is very related um so where does one find a dom to teach them how to be a good sub and a brat when they have basically no experience as a sub or really with kink as a whole and not even sure what a lot of the terms mean like mommy top service top etc Okay, well, <laughs> I know this is not the point of this question fully, but I do think that when we expect something to be taught to us, it can put a lot of pressure on a partner. I personally love to go down um, the route of educating myself in the best ways I possibly can in the era of YouTube, Google, Discord, subreddits, and obviously books. There's so much information available depending on what you're interested in. Um, two books I've really enjoyed mostly for the sheer volume of information and neither of these are kink specific but they cover it um, they are The Whole Lesbian Sex Book by Felice Newman and A Guide to Getting It On by Paul Joannides um, that is a pretty cishet of a book to be forewarned but there are like a lot of good pieces there 
Um, and all that being said, I think being upfront about what you want on whatever, like how you're connecting with people, whether it's through an app or something like being, being upfront about what you're looking for, I think will help you to find it faster as well. So that like, if there are people out there who, you know, are looking and I just want to be clear that like, when I'm saying like, yes, educate yourself, I don't mean like, I think Every time you're having a sexual interaction with someone, there is like a teaching and learning involved on both parts. That's like quintessential of getting to know someone and their interests, as we've been saying. But I do think there are things to like know terms or know like what you're interested in and how to ask for it. There's a lot of wealth of knowledge out there. Yeah, a few other thoughts on like actually finding a person a if it's financially available you could hire a professional dom and it would literally be their job to teach you um yes and that could be fun also like there's i think we talked about at least we definitely talked about field on the dating app episode i don't think we talked about fet life um but those are both apps specific to different kinks fetishes etc um where like addy said you can like be upfront about what you're looking for and like potentially find people with like, you know, a matching interest that would be like happy to be a part of that dynamic with you. Yeah, I think like getting, you know, doing some of your own research to get a sense of terms people use can be helpful because then that can help you seek out what you're looking for. Like if you're posting an ad on Lex or writing a profile for a dating app, you can like put we're going to talk more about how to talk about your kinks in a little bit, but, um, you know, you can put kinks in your profile, things like that. Um, a couple other resources I wanted to recommend that I think are good, just like general sex resources, but also have some stuff on kink. Um, Girl Sex 101, a queer pleasure guide for women and their lovers, um, which is very queer, inclusive, trans inclusive uh, text about sex with women and those who love them um and then also this zine series called fucking trans women um by this author and activist mira bellwether um this is this really great project um i think i guess it's been about a year now um since mira passed away but um she passed away recently but was sort of the architect of this really great resource as well um but yeah i guess i just would also say um like you don't have to know what everything means and it's totally okay if someone says something and you're like i don't know what that means to be like what do you mean by that and in fact i would really suggest you do that even if you think you know what the person means because oh, sure. like we've been saying i've done people that so use all of these terms to mean different things like <laughs> mm-hmm. what one person means by mommy dom is going to be entirely different from exactly. or sorry mommy top um is going to be different <laughs> from what another person means um like the these are all terms that exist because they can be useful shorthand but also like have a lot of diversity within them like you know if somebody says i'm queer you can't necessarily like that tells you something but it doesn't tell you like exactly what they want to do in the bedroom and i would say a lot of these terms are similar where like it may give you a sense of someone's vibe or what they generally like or where they're coming from but it doesn't really tell you like exactly what they want during sex and really the only way to find that out is to ask them and also to be like an attentive partner and pay attention to their responses while you're having sex. Um, And those are great things to do regardless of any kinks. Um, You know, just be an attentive partner. That's really the key. It's like, just pay the fuck attention. (laughs) Right. And like Ozzy said, you can always ask, like, if someone uses a term you don't know, just say, like, what does that mean to you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You also don't have to be like, I've never heard of that before. And they'll probably appreciate the clarification. Yeah. Yeah. It's like hot to people to want to know, you know, like that you're genuinely interested in their stuff. Right. Like, I think it can be embarrassing to be like, oh, I don't know what that means um, because of like the shame around it, but not more embarrassing than just going on and clearly not knowing what you're doing. So it's always better to just ask for clarification, ask what they mean by that or like what they're looking for. Um, And yeah, go from there. Amazing. Our next question, is there a way for cis men to express a connection between support for feminism and a desire to be submissive in a femdom relationship in a way that is not creepy or condescending? I Honestly, I love this question. 
I have I have so many follow up questions, but yes, powerful energy beyond beyond basic issues like not topping f- from the bottom or treating women as kink dispensers. Yeah, I guess so. I like genuinely, I was slightly confused by what the first part of this is asking. I think I get they're asking about like if there's a way to connect being a feminist and being a submissive in a femdom relationship. I guess, like, essentially, if the question is, like, is there a way for men to be in a femdom relationship that's not bad or creepy? I think the answer is definitely yes. But I guess, and I don't know if this is, I'm, I might just be reading this into this question. But like, if you're inherently sort of perceiving it, or like having this concern that it is bad and creepy, that could become a self-fulfilling prophecy where you're like, this is inherently bad. So like, I can't really do anything or like I have to do things that fit into this stereotype that I have that will sort of like lead to it feeling bad for the other person, if that makes sense. I'm now just inventing a guy and the guy is someone who, while being topped by a femme, just like keeps saying I'm a feminist. I voted for Hillary. Um I I will bottom for you and Hillary. I would bottom for Hillary. Oh my god. So yeah, I feel like if you're like I want to serve you because men deserve to be punished. And part of this power dynamic where I give all my control to a woman or femme in a situation is heightened because it flips societal norms on on its head. Like, I don't think that's inherently creepy. Like, I think that echoes a lot of queer sex in the sense of like some of what makes it so hot is that we get to throw heterosexual sex scripts out the window and start fresh. However, if you're a cis man who enjoys being submissive to femdoms and then you like have that it as like a feather in your cap of like feminism mm. like that's not the vibes are bad like the dudes that are like i love going down on women it's like okay you and you if you're hooking up with women you should be like, like literally who's not doing that yeah i feel like it's like honestly to me i'm like i think it's actually much less creepy for a man to be in a femdom relationship than to be like a loud feminist like that's kind of the part where i'm like you can mm. be a feminist, absolutely, but the main thing you should be doing is probably just like being quiet or right. Like, you don't need to be talking to about it. Following the lead of women feminists in your life. So yeah, I think like I mean, some people would love for that to be part of sex. I'm sure there's mm-hmm. a femdom out there who would love for you to be yelling, I'm a feminist as she And good for her. And good for her. And good, good for her. her. So for sure, like, find that person if that's what you're into. But I think in, like, outside of a sexual context, again, like, outside of a kink context, I don't think most women appreciate a man trying to be like, I'm a great feminist and I'm talking about it all the time. It's like, that's just kind of annoying. Like, if you're actually an ally or an accomplice, you should just be showing that. You don't need to talk about it. So yeah, that's my take on that. Be, mm-hmm. be a male sub. Don't be, like, an over-the-top male feminist. Exactly. Like, have revel in the glory that you know men have terrorized this world and and you might derive pleasure feeling like you're being punished in that way. Like, good for you. Yeah, get choked about it a little bit. That's up to you. Yeah, here for it. Or a lot of a bit. I don't know. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think, like, in summary, if you're, like, doing it authentically because that's what you enjoy, then, like, no, that's not creepy or condescending. If you're doing it because you're, like, this is how I am a feminist sexually, then, like, n- no, you don't need to do all that. Um, but, yeah, if that's just, like, what you enjoy and you're connecting that to, like, your morals and values, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, totally. Well, let's get into our next question. How to ask new partners if they have kinks and introduce my own kinks. Yeah, I mean, I think this is like a common theme among literally every episode of Revolutionary Romance. Uh, But it's like, it's literally all about communicate, communicate your desires, communicate (laughs) your wants and needs. (laughs) Um, But no, I mean, especially when it comes to kinks. Like, for example, I one time went on a first date and someone would not stop talking about their kinks the entire first date. And I literally did not know them at all. Um, And like that might be fine if you like were messaging ahead of time and that's like a common thing that you both have. But that is not the case that I walked into. So like 
I understand like why you might be hesitant, but I also feel like the fact that you're hesitant, you're like, how do I ask them means that you will be going about it gently and delicately as well. Um, And I think also just going about it as like kind of matter of factly as you can. And if, if it means like it's after the first few times you've had sex and like you're starting to feel comfortable with each other and then you're like, hey, so this is a thing that I'm really into or maybe even starting the conversation not by telling them what you're into, but being like, hey, so like I'd love to get to know more about like what you're interested in and, you know, like start the conversation that way. Yeah, I feel like it's also like, just when like you can choose when to bring things up depending on how important they are to you I guess so like if something is a core part of sex for you like if you want to be choked every time you have sex you should probably tell a partner that the first time you have sex because otherwise you're going to be having sex you don't enjoy but if something is more like you know something you're interested in or would like to try or do sometimes but isn't a must-have then it probably makes sense to or you know it could make sense to like wait longer or like it doesn't have to be the first thing you bring up because it's not as important a part of sex to you um so I think like partially you'll hopefully get a sense of it from like your first interactions with this person like if they don't bring something up in the first few times they have sex it's likely that it's not like a core part of sex to them but also some people are bad at communicating so you can't like totally assume that but I think that's sort of like a good like what someone brings up first as the most important things to them are probably more key parts of sex or their like kink life than like things that might not come up until later. Yeah. Yeah, this is kind of an aside from this question. Maybe it depends how new the partners are, but I wanted to talk about this game that I've played recently. Um it's called Drunken Love. It's like one of those card games. It's like a drinking slash sexy game. But you don't have to drink. You could smoke. You could take a sip of water. You can do whatever you want. The drinking is like not the important part of the game. Um, so yeah, it's these cards. There's different versions. And so I have like the X-rated version because that's who I am as a person. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but so the questions are all different. Some of them are like, like it's it's always like blank or drink or like do this thing, like answer this question or drink or like do this thing and drink. So some of them are like, lick a part of your partner's body or drink whatever um and then some of them were like tell your partner like a secret fantasy or one of them was like make a sexual bucket list with your partner and even though like i was playing with the person i'm dating and even though like we have a lot of conversations about sex and a lot of the questions we had like talked about to some extent it was still fun to have like prompts to be like oh now we're like going to talk about this and we're being prompted and no one has to like necessarily bring it up um and yeah I don't know I think that can be fun to just like again like playing like it's like a silly little game but also some of it was like it was like lick your partner's toes like it got real at some points um and you can always decide not to do them you don't have to do the things (laughs) but yeah I think exactly um (laughs) But I think even if it's, like, someone that you, have you know, have enough rapport to be, like, oh, I have this, like, sex game. Like, what if we played it? And then that's, like, a way to, like, start conversations. Yeah, I also just wanted to say I think, like, if you're feeling like you don't have enough information about your partner's kinks and you want more, I think, like, bringing up your own can be a good way to sort of start that conversation. Um, and I think also, like, being clear about, like, is this something that you want to, like, do is it something you like fantasizing about like kind of getting into like a little bit of specifics so that the other person gets a sense of like where where that falls for you um yeah yeah I also think um like I mean we were talking about the contract in 50 shades of gray but like (laughs) doing like looking at like a list of kinks together mm. or doing like a yes no maybe list like those kinds of how things to build a sex good... room watch it together or whatever yes definitely oh my God, yes well, that's, that's how that's i got into idea. flogging yeah i was I watching that. that episode that's and how i, I learned like, about oh, that feathers. really fun mm-hmm. yeah i love that yeah, yeah and that can like... also be an easy way to just be like oh that kind of looks fun and it's like low stakes because the other person can agree or they can be like that's probably not for me but like okay yeah Yeah, or like, you know, being like, I'd like to try that. And then your partner can be like, me too. Or like, I don't, I'm not really into that. 
and then maybe you do that with someone else or yeah. by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think it can also be fun, especially if like you've been having sex like somewhat regularly with someone to ask like, is there anything that you've like wanted to try that we haven't done yet? Or like that you haven't done in general that you're like curious about. Um, and then you might also learn like new things that you haven't tried that you're open to. Absolutely. Okay. okay the last question. Yeah. This, oh, this last ahead. one. I love the last Is question. do you think <laughs> consent speech is a boner killer? In air quotes. Yes. Do you think consent speech <clears throat> in quotes is a boner killer at an organized dyke orgy? First of all, organized dyke orgy. Wow. Um, Second but, of all, you can't kill a boner at a dyke orgy. Well, maybe. I mean, yeah. Funny I mean, phrasing. Yeah. But, but I'm also I just like, feel like I want to know what you mean by consent speech, because I think yeah. a lot of consent stuff is very sexy. I do mm-hmm. know that like if it's one of the things where like someone is checking in every two seconds about like something that was already agreed upon right that that can feel not sexy and yeah. to be a theoretical boner killer or whatever or a true <laughs> boner killer i just think that's a funny way to describe a dygorgy i mean i'm here for it it's like a trans forward <laughs> dygorgy yeah and we love that for you this sounds yeah. like a blast <laughs> it sounds like such a good time um it does i also am like if you're at a dyke orgy there probably is con- some consent speech built into it like because organizers it's are like it's don't do anything non-consensual exactly like, that's pretty normal um at an orgy case so i think like d- i would just not be too worried about it like i think everyone in that space is going to be used to having like some amount of conversation about consent before having sex and like you know try to do what makes you feel comfortable and ask what the other person needs to feel comfortable and that might be like depending on context that might be no verbal conversation like that can be the case but like you need to feel it out with the other person because it's it's an orgy but people are still allowed to say no to things yeah and also unless you are asking like once a minute about things that have already been discussed like addy said if someone thinks that it's like not sexy to ask about consent, you like probably don't really want to be sexually yeah, involved with that person. Exactly. I just feel like if you are already at a place in your sexual journey that you are at an organized dark <laughs> orgy, everyone better be like on this same level like i Mm, feel like this mm -hmm. is not like you don't have your first sex experience in this way i mean maybe people have i have no idea but i just feel like it's one of those things that's like you don't just hop right to organized dyke orgy you like you the amount of things that would need to fall into place to find yourself in that situation especially because it was organized ahead of time right like planning is going into this like you know, on everyone's part, as opposed to a spontaneous dyke orgy, which also has happened and happened on the last, uh, the um, queer watch. What the fuck is that show? The reality show where there's the boom boom. Oh, oh are you oh, the one? Yeah, are you the one? Yes, I feel like there was like a five some or something. Yes, and then they were all trying to figure out like which five, but also it was not a secret, right? Because exactly. there's video footage, literally. <laughs> Because you're on television, right. but yes. good for them. <laughs> yes. I feel like when you're at an orgy or like a more sort of like hookup based situation, uh, just like coming up with a safe word or like what you're going to do if either person doesn't like what's happening is a good way to like, you don't have to figure out every mm-hmm. single thing that's okay and not okay, right. but you do need to figure out like broadly what are the general parameters like are we having sex are we not etc and then like also what are we going to do if someone does isn't okay with what's going on mm-hmm. um i feel like those are kind of the two standard like things you might talk about before just getting into it at an orgy i also am just like can we be friends you like, and this person just, yeah i <laughs> i want to i want to know like how, how does one get invited to an organized orgy? <laughs> Addie's like, how do I get on the guest I'll, list? I'll invite you to one. Yes. Yes, bitch. Yes. Come to New York. Yeah. I'll be there. I'll be on the next train. Let's go. 
It's after my other organized dyke orgy for Zoe's birthday next weekend. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought you were going to say. That happened at like the last season of The Bitch retreat or something. I mean, <laughs> obviously. Look, that brothel-esque movie theater I'm doesn't fill it. itself, does yeah. it? And if you don't know what we're talking about, you should have listened to our other episodes. Boom, roasted. <laughs> so true. Um, okay, well, if you want more um, of our insightful sex tips you can <laughs> sign up to join our discord at patreon.com slash season of the bitch for more expertise mm-hmm. for more expertise um and we do have a revolutionary romance channel in the discord we also have like a place for you to ask us questions and or just chat with all of the other many kink experts and aficionados in our discord um, you can also follow us on Instagram and I guess Twitter, if that's still a thing, at Season of the Bee. Um, send us an I email. I tweeted last night when Henry when Henry Kissinger died as Season of the Bitch. Fuck yes. I, I revived us for I mean, one night only. Yeah, we Henry needed to say something. So <laughs> that was the occasion to revive the Twitter. So I occasionally feel like Twitter was like happening last night in a way that I haven't seen it in a long time. Oh, it was. Uh, it was, it was old Twitter. <laughs> yeah it was it was Uh, what a glimpse (laughs) (laughs) so yeah you know come join us there um if anyone else evil dies we'll for sure tweet about it so that's basically what we Um, tweet about (laughs) (laughs) um and check out our merch on our website seasonofthebee.com great holiday presents yes they make great holiday gifts for sure Absolutely. Well, that's all. Love y'all. Love you. All righty. Love you. Bye. Bye. Season of the Bitch.